Hello, Seraphim. This is Dicax, your host for Voice of Seraphim. Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. This is the second half of episode 11 of the Voice of Seraphim. It's that time of month. Recorded on January 22nd, 2011. In today's episode, we'll be discussing more than mirrored and besieged spoilers, do a special Zendikar crack-a-pack, and talk about magic player rewards. Have we, have we seen a lot of, you know, um, boosts into infect? There's been a ton of boosts into infect. Could somebody extend Hydra to me? What color is that? Green. Green. It's it's it, it's basically your regular Hydra, where damage to it is uh, prevented. But this time, it, but this time it's uh, putting negative counters on it because it has yeah. infect. So it's going to drop down a little bit. It's like reverse Hydra, but it gets the positive of infect. And it's only five casting cost. So in a seven-seven infect creature is pretty. That, that's kind of crazy. So it's like any creature that does damage to it has like wither, or any spell that does damage to it has wither. Yep. Thank you. I just wanted to ask a question that's kind of an interesting um, deck idea. Could you, like, flame the Hydra and deal 7 effect damage to someone? Or 7 poison counters? No, because fling doesn't deal damage. Uh, the creature doesn't deal damage. Fling deals damage, so it would do 7 damage straight up. Okay, that's just, I was just kind of curious about that, because if it worked that way, it would have been interesting. That would have been cool. So in terms of effects, why don't we talk about Brightsteel Colossus? Uh, it's an artifact. It's called Brightstill Colossus. It costs 12. It's a golem. It has trample, and it has infect, and it's indestructible. And then it says that Brightstill Colossus will be put into a graveyard from anywhere, reveal it, and shuffle it back into its owner's library, and it's an 11-11. That card made me, made me mad when I first read it. It's like Darksteel Colossus' arrogant younger oh. brother. Exactly. They took Darksteel Colossus and mutilated it. So, and uh, Green Ledro... Ozzy, we will Ozzy and we'll put in some Blightsteel. Is that it? How 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 would we put this uh, Blightsteel into work? I don't know. I think Valakid could probably... I mean, they already have enough ways to take someone out, but um, they could probably throw it out for shits and giggles. A lot of deck formats that relied on Emrakul, so now they have the option of either using Emrakul uh, or using this. I don't see Blightsteel making a huge impact on Standard. I see it making a bigger impact on, like, Vintage, Legacy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think so as well. The main, the main difference, though, between uh, Blightsteel, Colossus, and, like, Emrakul is you can attack once with Emrakul and they can still survive, whereas if you attack once with Brightsteel and they get all the damage in, they're dead. Very good point. It's going to be like Emrakul in the fact that people are going to try and find ways to cheat it into play. Someone's going to try to find some way to get this out ch as cheap as possible, and when they do, watch out, because that will probably be... Sneak attack, mate. I'd still rather get a Emrakul out hardcasted versus Blightsteel, because if you can hardcast an Emrakul versus the Blightsteel, you're guaranteed to win. Yeah, the thing is, you know, if you look at the uh, Eternal format with the sneak attack, show and tell, you could, you know sneak this out and <laughs> for a complete win but you still have cards like Emrakul get him out you still win I don't know yeah but Blade still has an extra added advantage that you can tinker him into play sorry 
You can use Tinker effects to get the Blightsteel Colossus into play. You can't use them to get Emrakul into play. So basically for one blue and two colorless, uh, using the actual Tinker spell or Arkham Daxum or any other type of cheat into play out of your deck spells. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, cheat into play is quite viable in Legacy now. I mean, people are cheating in Emrakuls and uh, Progenitors all over the place. So this one is a nice addition into the cheating into play team. He's also he'd also be a nice addition to a commander deck too. He'll probably be one of the ones that gets banned early on. Uh, Emrakul's currently banned in commander, just maybe not online yet. I don't think that change happened there yet. No, he has. He is because I, I I tried to play load my commander deck the other day and it wouldn't let me because I had an Emrakul in there. Yeah, but the di- big difference between Dark Steel Colossus or Blade Steel Colossus and Emrakul is Emrakul can be used actually as your commander, not to mention to win the game. Bladesteel can be take dark or Bladesteel can be taken out in a commander game, and they haven't banned Darksteel Colossus. Well, right now you can probably stick um, Bladesteel Colossus in a Arkham Daxum deck and have him just go fetch him. Unless Arkham Daxum is banned, I can't remember. Well, they've had Darksteel Colossus this whole time. It's the same thing, just with an effect. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah but with the Emrakul versus Bladesteel argument revoked, takes him down. It doesn't take down Emrakul. But no, but no matter if your opponent's at 40 life or 75 life, as commander games can get, one attack will still defeat somebody because all you need is 10 poison counters. That's the difference between Darkstone Colossus and this guy. Yeah, it's very a- true. Very true. Especially in commander, considering they haven't changed any of the rules yet to uh, uh, have commander require more poison counters. So if you're able to hit somebody and they're at 40 life in commander with your... Darksteel Colossus, they still have like three more turns to live, but if you hit them with this thing, they're just dead. On another note, you guys are gaining momentum because it's... What I've been reading is that, you know, it's being more and more indulged by uh, by Wizard of the Coast. Uh, is it, you know, becoming more popular? Do you, do, do you see a lot more players? Do you see a lot more sort of, you know, action in Commander? It's being endorsed by uh, Wizards of the Coast because they're gearing up to release their commander uh, multiplayer decks, pre-built, or, yep, pre-made decks this summer. I think, like, what we talked about before, though, like, the fact that I've noticed in these, like, later, like, more recent sets that we've got so many more, uh, like, multiplayer cards coming out, which is how I think they're supporting the format. But do well, you think a little bit of that has to do with them promoting what's coming with Commander? They're they're gearing up for it. Well, multiplayer in general has been getting promoted lately, just not online. Um, they've been releasing products every summer for the past two years now that are multiplayer themed with Plane Chase and also with the um, Arch Enemy. And this is just like the next cycle of that. Exactly. And speaking of multiplayer cards, I'm looking at another green one. Right, right now called Praetor's uh, Council. It's five and three green. Return all cards from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Praetor's Council. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. That seems like a really, really sick multiplayer card. Oh my god. Eight mana? Yeah, but in green, that's not as big of a problem. Yeah, in multiplayer formats, you tend to have tons of mana by the end of the game. Uh, by the way, uh, I haven't looked at all the green cards. Do we have any new ram spells? Uh, necessary, maybe. Not exactly that much of a ram spell. Elf Scouts. Oddly enough, blue sort of got a ramp spell to set, not green. Yeah, so, so far, no new sort of sorceries 
that would actually ramp you up. Could be that they're scaling ramp back just because um, I don't remember there being a ton of green ramp in the core set for this block either. Do you guys have a feeling if there is a skew, uh, at least so far, on the pre-spoil of which color is being favored? Not so sure how much of it's a color situation with this set. It's more along the lines of are they giving favor to the Mirans or the Phyrexians? And it seems like they're giving more favorable cards to the Phyrexians than they have been the Mirans. Yeah, I think I tend to agree on that. Well, I think if you've been following the storyline at all, I think they're finally going to give the Phyrexians a win. They've never won. Not that I support them that much, but just saying. I mean, look in the long magic history. The Phyrexians have never won an all-out war. I don't know. I think maybe it covered... Well, I think only one we should cover but as the last one should be the Ink Moth Nexus. I like the card. It's another card that I think it's... Just seems like lazy design. Um, Eld, the ink moth. What is that? What what color? It's a land. It's a land. Ink moth nexus seems like it's going to be blue's answer to start the poison and the proliferate to me. It's not very well developed, as uh, Fracture said. The other thing about it is that usually when you get a a, a creature like this, there's some kind of downside. Uh, I think it's it's honestly way too powerful because the blink the actual blink moth nexus it's kind of being a copy of. Uh, was the same thing, uh, except without infect. So to give this infect and still have the activation only be one just seems a little kind of overpowered. I just think this is one of the cards that are that the infect that infect needs if it actually wants to have a viable standard deck or to be a viable deck at all. And this is just one of those lands that I think I'm definitely thinking that this should be picked up pretty pretty quick just because of the fact that a lot of these type of non-basic lands that have like alternate effects tend to be pretty good. Yeah, no, I definitely want to place it of these. That that's for sure. Well, it's also kind of a no-brainer in drafts because even if you're not going infect, it's still useful as uh, something that's going to weaken your opponent's creatures, and then even after afterwards, it's going to have good value. This is one of the cards that I'd actually like to get my hands on early on. Put it to my green, black, Skithrix uh, infect deck. Well, so is that it on spoilers? Yep, I think we've uh, put a dent in the main ones. But just so everybody knows, you can go to, like was mentioned earlier, you can go to mtgsalvation.com and look at the spoilers there to see uh, all the other cards we didn't talk about. Also, that site's pretty good in general uh, to use for strategy tips, uh, some good deck lists, and also their rumor form is pretty up-to-date. It's actually usually more up-to-date than this list is. And... They have a very good uh, explanation of goblins in Legacy. For those of you who are into Legacy or want to get into Legacy, goblins is one of the cheapest decks in order to get into Legacy, and it's one of the most successful decks out of lately. So, for those of you who are looking at Legacy, thinking about it, they have a walkthrough about goblins, on the webpage, and that is mtgsalvation.com. You know one card we did miss that we might want to talk about, just as the, maybe the last one would be Sword of Feast and Famine. So what is... Uh, what, co what color is that? It's an artifact equipment. It is a artifact equipment 3. Uh, equipped creature gets plus 2, plus 2, and has protection from black and from green. Whenever you equip a player, that player discards a card, and you untap all lands you control. Yeah, so now we have a whole bunch of swords. What do we have? We have the standard sword, which is what? 
We basically have every opposite colored sword except for white and red, and they said that's going to be it coming out of the next expansion uh, for this block. We've got, we got Sword of Body and Mind, Sword of Light and Shadow, and Sword of Fire and Ice. And there might be one more. Uh, I'm just looking at my legacy decks because I'm running uh, all the available swords in my Mirfolk deck. I'm pretty sure I mentioned all of them. Fire and Ice, Light and Shadow, and then you have, of course... Umezava's Jitte. Jitte? Jitte? How do you pronounce That doesn't count, though, in the cycle that we're talking about. So, now we have another sword, and that's cool. That sword caught my eye, and I think that I need at least one or two of those swords. But most for legacy decks. I've got to say, though, I think I'm a bit disappointed with this sword. Like, I don't think they really recaptured, like, the how awesome, sort of, like Fire and Ice or Sword of Light and Shadow was, or were, still are in some formats. The new ones are all Mythic, and they kind of don't feel like they should be in the Mythic slot. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of 100 cards in London lately, and they pop up all the time in that format, and they just tear you up. I mean, there's these new ones are no replacement for the two original ones. No covering Tesseret? Well, I think we have to say something about the Tesseret, because everyone is, that, that is like the most expensive card, and ever, uh, I think we have to say something about Tezzeret. How could we and actually win? Let's say that we could take our current standard decks and, well, you got handed four Tezzeret, and you could play them in, on Geo Online now. What would we do? I want to try Tezzeret in a Steel Artifacts extended deck. Yeah, that would be disastrous <laughs> for your opponents. In that deck, you know, you have so many artifacts. Pretty much every time you use the first ability, you're probably going to run into an artifact to put onto the field. Plus, you can make all of your, like, Midnight's, Ornithopters, things like that, into 5-5 creatures. Uh, and then, like, you have, you know, all your artifacts out. You have his ultimate ability that can just win you the game. Is Tezzeret uh, mainly, like, a new card that is going to be used for, I don't know, older formats? I think, I think it's standard gonna... Embassy uh, hits. You're going to see a big shift in the standard decks that are viable right now. You think so? Uh, yep. In fact, we'll be everywhere. With the addition of more cards, it makes a lot of archetypes that could have been possible in the last uh, expansion now actually possible. It's because there weren't enough cards to fit those slots, so people are still just going to keep relying on the crutch of uh, Zenblock. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, uh, I guess Infect is going to be more viable than, because right now it's not viable, so you can't really get less viable. Tezzeret? Mm. Yeah, who knows, right? When is it going online, uh, physically? Next month. Like third week of February or second week? It's uh, the 21st of February. It's when he goes online. Uh, sorry, I meant when is it? When will we see the whole list? When is it? When do we have the pre-releases uh, in physical? Next. Next weekend. Okay, so next weekend we will know exactly what the set is. Yep. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that online. Uh, no, it's sped up because of the expansions get released more often with the regular expansions being released and then your Master's Edition and then your older expansions. That's mirrored and besieged. We'll see the rest next week. I just wanted to say something. Dicax, did you get the banana fist? 
I've never missed one of your banana fists. Now, what I was saying is that one of the things that we could add to the uh, podcast uh, for future reference are card trading tips, like what to buy, what to sell, and since we have a new set, banana fists. One of the things we did cover last week was the state of the program from Pure MTGO, where he talks about price changes. Doesn't look like there were a lot of dramatic shifts this week. Yeah, there's a new one up. I'm looking at it now. Most of the big shifts uh, happened in Masters Edition 4 cards. Oh yeah, that was insane. There were big shifts down. Look at the Mishra, look at the Library of Alexandria, look at all the, you know, Jewel Lands. They all went down by, yeah, a lot. Probably going to get a lot more people drafting ME4 also, just because they know that all the dual lands are in, as opposed to the last few where it was only like, you know, three or two. It's like, I find it quite interesting to follow shifts. Oh, well, I personally don't do that much trading, but I do look at the state of the program whenever it's out now. So, I just have like, sort of like a short, a short log of cards that I'm interested in buying. And typically, like, every every couple of days or whatever, I'll search those up on NTGO Traders and see how the prices are you know, changing on those. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I do. And, uh, you know, I have my list of cards that I, you know, want, need, think that I would like to have in, in the future or whatever. And I tend to follow those. And a good example was Tarmogoyf. Did you see the price jump of the Tarmogoyf in the last two weeks? That was insane. Why did it happen? Well, did you see the article on Star City Games? I haven't read the article. My assumption as to why it would happen is that now that more dual lands are available, more people think that they can start getting into Legacy, which means Zoo is one of the ones that's probably easier to put together. At least people think it is, and so Tarmogoy is one of the staples you have to go to get after that. So I guess the, the other reason, though, that it's jumping in price again is the fact that they banned Survival and that the Zoo decks are having, like, having like a space to grow in again. Yeah, all is true. Uh, it's a lot of viable points, but at the same time, there is uh, there is a way to actually get to monitor these price moves a bit more closely. And there is an application one can buy. I know what the what the price is. Uh, I'm going to check it out. I've actually sent the vendor an email uh, that tracks the price movements of uh, all MDGO cards, and you can actually follow it. That no, here's Fist with the News. Yeah, and, 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 you know, for everyone is that, you know, Onslaught fetch lands are gaining in price by something like 5% per every two days in the last two, three weeks. So, if you have any of those, do not sell them. What is it? Onslaught fetch lands. Banana fist. Alright, I just want to finish this one up. Crack a pack? Oh. You want to do Scars of Mirrodin? No. Do we have anything else? Worldwake, Zendikar, M11. Worldwake. That'd be, that'd be crazy. If you have a Worldwake, that'd be um, so fun. What if you pull a Jace? That shit my pants. Come on, do a Worldwake. And let a load die tags. <laughs> Crack a pack of diapers. All right, World Wake it is. Here we go. All right, first common is Wind Zendikon. One blue, it's an enchantment. 
Chantland, and Chantland is a 2-2 blue elemental creature with flying. It's still a land. I know you're excited about that one. Marsh Threader is the second common. It's one and a white. It's a core scout. Swamp Walk, 2-1. It's a good sideboard. <laughs> this card is a lot more useful. Sideboard card on Mars. I. And the next common is Quicksand. Add one to your mana pool, or you can sack it, and target attacking creature without flying gets minus one, minus two, till end of turn. I mean, the important thing you have to consider about Zendikar is that it's a, an incredibly aggressive format, so that means most of the time your curve is going to be one, two, three drops for the most part, so, and that, you know, the kind of deck that's playing mostly two twos, you know, two ones, things like that, to have, or, you know, things that have really low toughness and power... Quicksand is actually a pretty solid card and can actually act as some pretty effective removal. Yeah, now I'm thinking of, you know, if I was dropping this, I would pick this card, definitely. I would not pick this card first pick or even third, fourth, fifth. Maybe this would be a very late pick for me. Yeah, now of course a late pick, but, you know, we had, what is this, our third option? I'd pick this card. Mine. The next one is Skitter of Lizards. It's one red. It's got a multi-kicker, one in red. Also has haste, no matter what. But for Skitter of Litter Lizards, enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each time it was kicked. It's a one-one lizard. Highly underestimated, I think. Yeah, it's actually a very good card. I, did, I played a, um, a Zendikar, Zendikar World Wake draft not that long ago with blue, black, I mean, red and black, and I'd had like four Skitter of Lizards, and those cards are just amazing because... They can come out turn one when you need to get damage in, and then later, you know, late game, you can bring them out as three threes, two twos, you know, things like that, just to get in the, you know, damage you need. In fact, they can grow depending on the, you know, the game stat, game state is pretty nice. What was the one kicker cost? Mm. So that means it's a one one for one, or a two two for three, or a three three for five. Mid, it's it's a it's a good card in the beginning of the game. It's a good card in the mid game. It's a it's a good card in the late game. So it's one of those you know it's super. As I've said before, you know cards that are flexible and versatile are just are good to have and draft. I mean you know if you top deck that thing like on turn six and you got nothing else to play, I mean you know you just put your mana out and just you got a big creature all of a sudden. Yeah, you get a three 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 with the haste or however big you make it. The problem with aggressive decks is the fact that if they don't win early game, that they tend to draw late game, all their like small creatures that were you know, would have been aggressive and useful the early turns, but now are just really weak compared to the, the board status that their opponent has, so it's nice to be able to draw a card that's not that draw in your hand. And the next common is Bajuka Bog. It's a land. It's uh, enters the battlefield tapped. When Bajuka Bog enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your target player's graveyard. Uh, it adds one black to your mana pool when it's tapped. Not really, not not really useful for drafts. More of just a tech card for standard or whatever format you're playing. Yeah, it was played a lot in um or block constructed. It's actually pretty heavily played currently in Popper too. There's a lot of decks that use it. It was, it was played a lot in standard back when we had um Night of the River card. She could just search it instant speed and and you could remove someone's graveyard in response to them trying to. Bring back a creature from the graveyard, or in response to them trying to get their vegemine back. Dicax, uh, Bujuka Bog, didn't it say that it exiles the whole graveyard from the 
all graveyards or just the opponent uh, or yours or a target, or target player? So you see, Bajuka Bog is one of those cards that is completely you, you cannot go without it in legacy. You need at least four cards in your say sideboard that are doing exactly what Bajuka Bog is doing. So actually in legacy this card is completely you, you have to have it or Tormos Crypt or Relic of Progenitus or, or something like that. You cannot go without it. Now in constructed or or well or even in, in sealed or draft it's maybe not that useful in this particular format. But it's one of those cards that has actually been constructed, I think, in order to be super useful in the more eternal formats. And the reason it's very useful in let's say legacy is because you have some very, very powerful effects like dredge, you know, on graveyard use. So you need cards that can actually get rid of graveyards against a whole number of very powerful and fast decks. So Bajuka Bog is in the whole sort of you know format of magic. It's very useful in standard draft. Probably not that useful. The next common is Grey Pelt Hunter, which is a two-two human warrior. It's an ally. It's for three and one green. It has trample. Whenever Great Pelt Hunter or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, you may put a one-one counter on Great Pelt Hunter. It's a solid card. Uh, Zendikar is very creature-intense format, so you tend to just throw, you know, take a two colors and just grab all the creatures you can in those colors. So definitely, if you're playing green, you want to pick up that card, even if you don't have that many other allies. Just the fact that he's a two-two is still good enough. And the next common is Battle Herda. It's a giant 3-3 three, three, for 4 and a white. It has first strike. Believe it or not, like in Zendikar, that card is almost like a bomb just because of the fact that it's a 3-3 three, three and it's got first strike. That deals with a whole lot of the aggressive cards that we just talked about, but it is a really high curve, comparatively speaking. I'd much rather personally invest in more small creatures than to have one big one, in Zendikar at least. It's that if you're playing white, I'd say you pick it up, but... I would definitely take more aggressive creatures over this one. And the next common is Twitch. Two and a blue. It's an instant. You may tap or untap target artifact, creature, or land. Draw a card. It's a, it's pretty, it's a pretty unestimated card. I mean, it's not a high pick. It's definitely something that's going to go around the table a couple times, at least or at least once. And you can probably pick it up late, especially since blue seems to be kind of an underdrafted color compared to the other colors. So, um... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a decent card. It's a decent combat trick that can tempt. I don't know. I'd almost say that you'd almost never want to play this unless there's something really specific you need to do because there really aren't that many really good artifacts in Zendikar that you need to take care of. And, you know, just to pay three to untap a land and draw a card is kind of weak because considering you're kind of wasting one card just by playing, putting a card in your deck. You can tap stuff down too, though. Um, but to tap one land when everything like the mana like the mana curve is just so low in Zendikar, and to tap down one land, I mean that's often not going to do that much. I mean, like I said, it's not it's not a high pick. I mean, it's definitely something that would be like one of the last two cards in the pack, you know. But you know, it's decent. You know, I mean, it may not mean it may not make your deck, you know. But I've used it in drafts before just because I had nothing better left to pull. Because you know, a lot of times blue ends up being kind of a dry color when you're drafting. 
Quiddle used to see play. And I'm looking forward right now to try to read it, because I'm pretty sure it taps down a creature or land or artifact. The most useful aspect of it is it can tap down, like, you know, say you don't have a, you don't have your removal spell yet and your opponent's about to win the game with their, like, their 7-7, seven, seven, whatever. You can tap it down, and then you can draw a card and hopefully draw into an answer for your next turn. Next common is uh, Myers Toll. It's a sorcery for one black. Target player reveals a number of cards from his or her hand, equal to the number of swamps you control. You choose one of them, that player discards that card. Good card, but you got to be committed to black, and that's probably not going to happen in the draft. Um, you actually, well, that is, uh, what, like we even said, it is quite a good card, actually, but you do have to be really heavily in black. Uh, there are, hard, like, I guess one of the archetypes you kind of hope, I mean, there aren't that many archetypes, really, and Zendikar mostly is just aggressive creatures, but there is, like, a vampire archetype uh, that you can draft every now and then. It just depends on whether or not you get the right cards. And Myers Toll is really amazing on that type of deck. And the next common is Akum, Battle Singer. She's one in a red. She's a 1-1 human berserker ally. She has haste, and whenever she enters the battlefield, uh, her or another ally enters the battlefield under your control. You may have ally creatures you control gain plus one, plus zero until end of turn. She's actually a decent card in the ally deck. Um, Typically, you just pick her up if you have allies uh, and you're playing red. She's actually pretty good. She's not a high pick, but you definitely want to have her at some point. All right. So if you had to choose among the commons, which one would you choose? Oh, my God. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, they're really stressing me out. Skitter. Yeah, I don't actually remember too many of the, the picks, but I would probably say Skitter. I think I'll take the green one. I like the biggest creature. Uh, the white one. The one white strike. and whatever. 3-3. Three, three. Big creature. The first strike. Okay. Yeah. Expensive yeah, as hell. Yeah, that'll hurt a 4 and a white. It's a 3-3 three, three with first strike. Yeah. And the first uncommon is Smother. One and a black. It's an instant destroy target creature with converted mana cost 3 or less. Can't be regenerated. That would, that would probably be a first pick, depending on how, how bad the rare is. I mean, that's just a great card. And there's so many things it kills in this format, in that format. Exactly. And not to mention, it also takes out mainlands, which, you know, are all rares, but you, you, you can't see them in drafts, and they can be quite dangerous. And the next uncommon is Ruin Ghost, one in a white. It's a spirit. So 1-1. One, one. Pay one white mana, exile target land you control then return it to the battlefield under your control. It's actually pretty good in that format. There was a lot of lands that with uh, come-into-play abilities. And even more than that, there's also a lot of creatures that have landfall abilities in that format. Combined, it's pretty uh, audacious. I was never a big fan of it. It just seemed like it was a little too slow and clunky, and like it was kind of like, you know, like you were putting too much effort into it. But I don't yeah, know. I, I, I agree with him on that. I would just... Look the other way if I saw that card. And that's what made it so good, is that a lot of the key pieces you would need to get an infinite combo going in draft would get passed to you in that format. I saw quite a few of those decks popping up in drafts all over the place when I was playing it. And the next uncommon is Tectonic Edge, which is a land... There there are a few non-basic lands. Like, there are, like, the rare ones, and then there are the ones that have, like, the gimmicky, like, come-into-play effects we were just talking about. Uh, but there really aren't that many non-basic lands for you to target with Tectonic Edge that really... I mean, the, the thing with Zendikar is you really need to keep your tempo up, and it's kind of hard in that kind of format to have to spend a turn, you know, tapping out one of your lands and then sacrificing one of yours just to kill one of their lands, unless you really can make it 
like unless they're mana screwed and you can really disrupt disrupt them or keep them off as like a second color. Otherwise, I don't you know Tectonic Edge is not a very high pick for me in that format. I mean, because you are losing a lane when you play when you use his abilities. So I mean, you're taking your opponent's lane out, but you're taking yours one yours out too. So you got to think about it that way. I mean, if, if you're ahead of your opponent and your opponent's got like a really dangerous lane, like say a, a Raging Ravine or something on the board, and yeah, it might be good, but I mean, there's definitely other things to pick in the pack, you know, than the, the, the that card. So you guys wouldn't, like, appreciate that card in a draft in that particular format. Is that correct? I would pick it up if it were – I would pick it up later on, like, it, it, maybe if it tabled. I mean, I, it might not table, but if it did, I'd probably pick it up. But, like, in this pack so far, I would pick the Smover over it. All right. You ready for the rare? Yes. I'll read the flavor test. After years of study, it's uh, Amulet of Vigor. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get passed. That's terrible. Oh, God. It's perfect for this week and Seraphim Clan. Banana Fist. Forums down. Avenger. No tournament. An Amulet of Vigor. That should be the title of the podcast. Since we have so many knowledgeable uh, players here, can someone please give me a quick rundown of how rewards work? I mean, Magic Online player rewards? Yes. Um, basically, you get one point uh, per... Each time you log in, you get that once a day. So you can log in every day and get a point that way, so that's how you get a lot of points. Uh, you get points for playing in uh, tournaments, like drafts, uh, constructed events, uh, things like that. And what they do is, I don't know if you've seen the... We have the prizes, but they have like a tiered system where if you have a certain number of points, you get these cards, and then you keep uh, it's, it's like an inclusive system. So if you get the top points, you get the top whatever card it is, plus all the ones below that. So the more points you have, the more cards you're going to get. Uh, but yeah, you just get points from like I think for every one ticket you spend in the Magic Online store, you also get. There's a whole listing of exactly what you get on the Wizard site. I don't know what it is offhand. If you do some digging and you find it, it actually tells you what the current breakout is for what you're going to get just for playing, what you're going to get for spending so many tickets, and what you're going to win, get for winning so many events. And it usually tells you what the current uh, loadout's going to be, and then I think maybe the next one or two. Um, are you new to MTGO? In the game settings, for in the game settings, the personal settings, you actually have to opt in to the mailing list, but they'll send you a mail, um, an email every month. And I'll give you a breakdown of how many points you get. You can also click on a link in the email, and it'll show you what the what the rewards are for that month. Also has some other cool stuff. No, do you have to um, sign it's up It's weird the because email? you have to opt in, so you have to request to get the email, which is a little backwards from most other things. It's to your settings and mention online. It's a monthly summary of your activity. Hey, it's that time of the month, guys. I just got my magic rewards. <laughs> It's that time of the month. No, that would funny, be a man. good like, name for the podcast. That, did did you did. record that, Dicax? He accidentally pre- pressed pause two hours ago. That is not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew how not funny that is. Would be funny. <laughs> no, I have been recording. Yeah, no, is that? But that's going to do it for the show. All right, well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We had a... Pretty good discussion, I think, on all the stuff we did. Pretty large group tonight. Was it Fracture who joined us? Hey, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I accidentally walked in on no, you. No I wasn't worries. sure when you guys You're did You're welcome this. anytime. 
DZ it really starts around nine. DZ also joined us for a bit through a couple of sentences. Oh, I missed that one. That's oh, right. Hey. Oh, he's still here. So that's going to do it for episode 11. That's it for the second half of episode 11 of The Voice of Seraphim. It's that time of month. I'd like to thank Avenged, Osric, Scorch Thrasher, Prism, Eldritch, and Fracture for joining me today. Join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim next Saturday, February 5th at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. I'm Dicax, your host, and you've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. This is Dicax and Eldritch, signing out. Thank you.